Galatians chapter 2 from verse 11. This is the Apostle Paul speaking to the churches in Galatia. Now when Peter had come to Antioch, I withstood him to his face, because he was to be blamed. For before certain men came from James, he would eat with the Gentiles. But when they came, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing those who were of the circumcision. And the rest of the Jews also played the hypocrite with him, so that even Barnabas was carried away with their hypocrisy. But when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter before them all, If you, being a Jew, live in the manner of Gentiles and not as the Jews, why do you compel Gentiles to live as Jews? We who are Jews by nature and not sinners of the Gentiles, knowing that a man is not justified, that is, is not declared right with God by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ... Even we have believed in Christ Jesus, that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law, no flesh shall be justified. But if, while we seek to be justified by Christ, we ourselves also are found sinners, is Christ therefore a minister of sin? Certainly not. For if I build again those things which I destroyed, I make myself a transgressor. For I, through the law, died to the law, that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died in vain. Let's pray briefly once more. Hear us, O God, and help us for your glory's sake. Teach us, guide us away from error, falsehood, foolishness, and sin. Guide us to Christ, that we may see, trust, love, and most highly esteem him who loved us and gave himself for us, and in whose name we pray. Amen. What is the most dangerous thing in the world that you can think of? What's the most dangerous thing that you can think of? I'm not going to say this comes absolutely and always at the top of that particular tree, but I'm going to suggest to you that there's something that we have read about in this passage which counts at least as one of the most dangerous things in all the world. It's called self-righteousness. It is the idea that you can somehow earn favour from God by who you are and what you do. That you can be good enough to earn God's favour. The reason why self-righteousness is so dangerous, 
whether it's the kind of religious self-righteousness that says I've been a very good outward Christian or a kind of secular self-righteousness that says I'm at least a very good person, the reason why self-righteousness is so dangerous is that it damns you while you are applauding yourself. Self-righteousness carries you to hell while you are telling yourself how safe you are. It's like someone who is drinking poison and all the while assuring themselves that it's a sweet and health-giving medicine. Does self-righteousness then trouble you? Does it afflict your soul? Do you grieve because of it? You should. Self-righteousness should trouble you. Self-righteousness should shake you. Self-righteousness should grieve you in principle and in practice. It did the Apostle Paul. In fact, he's written this whole letter because he knows that he needs to fight against self-righteousness. He's even withstood another apostle, Peter, to his face because at this particular time, Peter, under pressure from others, has begun to act in a way that suggests that if you're going to get right with God and stay right with God, you've got to keep the Jewish law. There are certain things you need to do in order that you can be right with God over and above what the Lord Jesus Christ has accomplished. And it's self-righteousness versus God-righteousness in Galatia. It's this dangerous and damning idea that you can earn your salvation, that you can be good enough to earn your way into heaven versus trusting in what God has provided in Jesus Christ in order to have his mercy. And so, as he comes to the end of that particular part of his argument, here is the Apostle Paul's declaration in verse 21. I do not set aside the grace of God. For if righteousness comes through the law, that is, if I can be self-righteous, if I can get a right standing with God by my own efforts, then Christ died in vain. Paul is a very logical thinker. And here he's tying together this particular argument and its conclusion. So I want you, first of all, to hear with me his declaration. I do not set aside the grace of God. Then following his logic, I want you to see the supposition, the what if. What if righteousness came from the law? What would that mean? And then to face the conclusion that if you can be righteous by your own works, then Christ died in vain. And from that, we need to examine our own hearts and then hopefully draw some joyful conclusions. So then, here, first of all, the Apostle's declaration. I do not set aside the grace of God. Now, that translation is tame doesn't really give you the force of what the apostle is saying. Paul is horrified by the possibility that the grace of God might be put to one side by him. And 
If you were hearing this in the Greek that Paul writes, you'd feel something of his revulsion, of his antagonism to this idea. He is emphatically denying once and for all the possibility that he might set aside the grace of God. Paul is a preacher of grace a preacher of God's free favour. And he's been fighting against this false gospel, this empty so-called good news in Galatia, that something apart from God's grace and mercy can give you what you need in order to stand before God. And here's this man who has tasted and seen that the Lord is good, who has understood the grace, the free kindness of God toward a hell-deserving sinner, And he's saying now, he's planting his flag. It's a sort of a battle cry. I will not, I do not, I cannot leave to one side the grace of God. I am not going to refuse God's grace. I am not going to cast this grace away. I cannot discard grace. Can anybody imagine that I would show contempt for the kindness of God toward hell-deserving sinners? Paul knows that this divine kindness is the very root of the gospel. Leave out the grace of God and we are all damned. Leave out the grace of God and every one of us has no prospect but hell for all eternity. How then, says Paul, who have t- when I've tasted so much, when I have known God's grace in Christ Jesus, when I've been crucified with Christ, when I see the whole world through the lens of the cross and the world sees me and the shadow of that cross, how can I turn away from the grace of my God? And if you're a Christian, that battle cry finds an echo in your heart. I do not set aside the grace of God. I am not going to leave it to one side. I am not going to discard it. I am not going to cast it away. I am not going to show contempt for the grace of God. Now you might say, well, of course I wouldn't do that. But why is it important? Why is Paul planting his flag in this way? Why do you and I need to be able to say the same thing? Because of this supposition, because of this possibility that Paul now introduces. I do not set aside the grace of God for suppose that righteousness came by the law, by the works of the law. What if... You could get right with God on the basis of your own goodness, your good works, your religious efforts, whatever they may be. In Galatia, it would have been the attempts of some of the Gentiles to live more like the Jews. Today, there might be any number of uh, charitable exercises, any kind of religious performances, being sprinkled as a baby, going to church now and again or even every day, trying to be a good person, maybe any number of rites and rituals that we might employ. It doesn't even have to be religious today. Again, we've seen it so often when we speak to people on the streets. Do you, do you know where you're going to go when you die? Oh, I'm a good person. Well, hang on a minute. I haven't even talked to you about heaven and hell yet. But the moment you start thinking about your eternal destiny, you tell me I'm good. 
I'm good, I'm fine, I do everything right. If I'm accountable to anybody, I'm winning. Whatever you're going to tell me, when it comes to weighing up my good deeds and my bad deeds, I'm pretty confident that the good deeds side of the scale outweighs the bad deeds side of the scale. And Paul says, suppose that were so. Suppose you could go to heaven because you're just a good guy. Suppose you can stand before the holy God and say, I'm good enough, I'm nice enough, I've tried enough, I've given enough, I've scored enough points. You owe me salvation. That's what Paul's asking. Are you going to claim that that is so? Are you going to sit here this evening and say, I can be good enough for God? To do that is to deny grace. To do that is to set aside the grace of God. To do that is to turn your back upon the mercy and favour that God holds out to you. (coughs) Paul's asking, what if you could? Either in whole or even in part. What if you could either do enough that without reference to anybody else, you could earn your way into heaven? Or what if you could make up for something that is lacking in what the Lord Jesus Christ has done? What if, as a a Gentile trusting in Jesus, you need to do that little bit extra and become more like a Jew? What if, having trusted in the Lord Christ in our own day and age, you now need to tick certain boxes and and, and be able to accomplish certain tasks and and, uh, reach a certain standard? before you could say that you are safe? What if you could make or must make a contribution to your own salvation? Paul says, imagine that that could be the case, that there's something that you can or must be or do that needs to weigh in with regard to your standing with God. What happens then? Christ died in vain. That's the consequence. That's the conclusion you've got to face. Paul says, I don't set aside God's grace. Why not? Because if righteousness comes through the law, if I don't need grace, if I don't have to rely upon grace, if I can do away with grace, if I can neglect grace and trust in what I have done for myself, then this must be true, that Jesus Christ died in vain. And that for Paul, and that for you if you're a Christian, is a horrible prospect. It's something that your soul crumbles away from. It's something that brings the bile up in your throat. Because the death of Jesus Christ in the place of the ungodly is the first and great demonstration of grace. If you want to know what grace is, if you want to know what grace does, if you want to know what grace looks like, if you want to know how grace acts, you must look to what God has done in Jesus Christ. When the Son of God suffers and dies in the place of the ungodly, his blood being shed to wash us clean from our sins and his perfect righteousness put to our account when we put our faith in him. 
The cross of Jesus Christ is where sin is cleansed and where righteousness is bestowed. Unless righteousness comes through the law. If righteousness comes through the law, then Christ's death is pointless. If righteousness comes through the law, then Christ's death is needless. If righteousness comes through the law, then Christ's death is worthless. It's either not enough or it's just not required. If you can do it all by yourself, then there's no point in Jesus dying. If Christ hasn't done it all by himself, then it's just not good enough. He set aside the grace of God because righteousness comes by the works of the law, then you are just sweeping aside everything that God has done for the salvation of sinners like you and me. You're saying that the Father's plan was neither wise nor good, that when he appointed that his Son should come into the world that he made, and take flesh and blood, that he might obey and suffer as a man, that there was only one way which God the Father in his great wisdom and mercy had appointed whereby we could be restored to fellowship with him that he got it all wrong and that Jesus died in vain. You're saying that the son's bloody and effectual sacrifice was not enough and didn't work. You're looking at Jesus Christ dying on the cross and saying, I don't need that, or it's not enough for me. You're looking at the Holy Spirit's purposeful and powerful witness to Jesus Christ as the one who suffered and died and rose again for our justification. That is, that we might be declared righteous in the sight of God. And you're saying the Holy Spirit is badly confused about this. That his determination to bring Christ and make him glorious in your eyes, to apply the blood that was shed on Calvary to your sin-blackened soul, that that is a pointless and a needless exercise. Or that it might be that perhaps it sprinkles a little bit of the muck and filth off your heart, but it's not going to do the job until you get your hands on things and start to tidy it up a little bit more. It means, brothers and sisters, that you can look at the broken, bleeding body of the Lord Jesus Christ as it hangs upon the tree at Calvary and say, what a waste. You can think about the thorns that pierced his brow and the nails that went into his hands and his feet and you can say there really was no need for those things to happen. You can think of his bruised face and his pierced side, a man who has been virtually flayed in serving God at that point who is standing in your place and suffering not just the assaults of men, but the very wrath and curse of God upon him. And you would say, oh, what a shame, because it didn't actually do anything worthwhile. You can listen to Jesus Christ, the eternal son, crying out on the cross and saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And your answer is, well, who knows? Because he's accomplished nothing. You're emptying the cross of its value. 
You are denying everything that makes a crucified Jesus valuable. Paul says, is that really where you could end up? That you would set aside the grace of God. That you would begin to think that you are good enough in yourself or can do enough by yourself to somehow get right with God. Because the cross of Christ, the death of the Lord Jesus was purposeless. It was empty. It was ineffective. It was worthless. But that's your logic if you think that you can get right with God by yourself. That's what you're saying if you say, but I'm good enough, I'm okay, I can do this. That's what you're saying if you say, well, it's nice that Jesus died, but it's not going to be enough for me. If there is salvation in any other way, if Jesus is not the way and the truth and the life, and if you can come to God by some way other than him, or if you need to add something to him in order to come to God. That is, if your righteousness with God is on the basis of your own works, then that death of Jesus outside Jerusalem at Calvary is useless and ineffective. It's a tragic demonstration of a powerless man who's done nothing of any lasting value. I do not set aside the grace of God. That's the Apostle's declaration. Imagine if righteousness came by the law. Then you are denying the value. You are making empty. You are voiding the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. And therefore we need to make an examination. Is it possible that I am doing this? Is it possible that I am thinking and living in such a way as to set aside the grace of God? Has something come into my thinking and my understanding that is saying fundamentally that righteousness comes by the works of the law? That ultimately I can declare that Jesus Christ died in vain, that there was no need for it or that it did not accomplish what was set out. What kind of risks do you and I face? We may not be full on in the Galatian problem, in the Galatian heresy, but there are certain things of which we need to be aware and certain things which we need to avoid. And some of these I've taken from Charles Spurgeon. How can you set aside the grace of God. Remember, that's not a good thing. How can you set aside the grace of God? What kind of thought patterns, what kind of actions result in us essentially saying that righteousness comes by the law and that therefore Jesus Christ died in vain? You can do it by neglecting the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. You can do it by hearing this good news preached, this Jesus held up in this building or by other faithful preachers week after week after week and by treating it carelessly. If you are still a sinner here this evening and you go out of this building saying, I don't need this good news, do you know what you're saying tonight? You're saying that I don't need that righteousness. I don't need that Jesus. 
His death is empty. If you've no appetite for this Christ, no heart engagement with this gospel, do you understand what you are saying? That you can afford to set aside God's grace. You don't need it. It's of no value to you. That righteousness does in fact come by the works of the law. That you can be good enough and do good enough that you don't need Jesus. That his death was pointless with regard to you. A second way that we can fall into the trap of setting aside the grace of God is by denying or resisting guilt. Nobody does anything wrong today, do they? Or at least not very wrong. Not too wrong. Guilt seems to be the one thing that no one wants to face. It's that whole principle of self-determination. I can be what I like, when I like, how I like, and no one can tell me how to live my life. And when the word of God comes and presses in upon you, when it talks about your lack of self-control, when it talks about your lusts, when it talks about your adulteries and your drunkennesses, when it talks about your lies, when it talks about your selfishness, when it talks about your disobedience to God, when it talks about your rebellion against your parents, it talks about your celebration of the filth that's in the world, it talks about your, your appetite for that which is not pleasing to God, your indulgence of that which God says it is an abomination to him, when we can go through this world and, and shrug those things off, <clears throat> when we can look into our own souls and say, but, but I'm really a good person, or at least I'm not too bad a person. Do you know what you're saying? I don't need God's grace because I'm okay. I'm not bad enough to require something of the magnitude, the size of the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. If righteousness is required, I'm going to be okay because I'm not too bad. I'm nice enough. I'm good enough. I'm kind enough. I'm religious enough. I've got enough in my background. I'll make something up in my future, but I will be okay by myself. You're setting aside the grace of God. Another way that we set aside the grace of God is by despairing of Jesus Christ. This is the flip side. Some people say they're not too bad. Some people say they're way too bad. I am too bad to be saved. I've sunk too low. I've done too much. I've gone too far. I've sinned too often and with a high hand against God. It's the language of someone who has looked into their soul and does see their guilt but draws the wrong conclusion. Jesus Christ is not enough. How can I come to God like this? How can I draw near to God with such guilt-stained hands, with such wickedness in my soul? And do you know what you can end up saying? I need to tidy up first. I need to wash up a little bit first. 
I need to sort things out a little bit. Yes, I'll come to Jesus Christ, but only once I've made myself ready. Do you hear what you're saying? I need to set aside the grace of God. Oh, not completely. I would never, I would never deny that I need grace. But I'm going to need a little bit of that righteousness that comes by the law before I come to a crucified Jesus and trust in him. There's got to be something I need to do, something I need to offer. I need to prepare myself in some way. I need to feel a certain thing. I need to go through a certain ritual. I need to reach a certain depth of, of distress. I need to cry a certain number of tears. And then I can come to Jesus in order to save me. What have you done? You've said, I need a little of my work, a little of my effort before I come to Jesus Christ. And then there's relying upon ourselves. Now we can do this in the most obvious way, by basically saying, I'll be good enough. And if I'm not now, I'll try harder and I'll do more. And perhaps I'll get more religious. Perhaps I'll, I'll go back to the religion of my childhood. Maybe I was uh, brought up in a certain family or I went through certain rites and rituals. I was sprinkled as a baby perhaps or I was brought up in a home where the gospel was taught. I know what it's like to go to Sunday school. I know what it's like to be in church. I'll start doing those things again. What are you saying? I've got my own righteousness. I don't need what God has done in Jesus Christ. Yes, he may have sent his son, but that's pointless because I can do this by myself. And you know another horrible way that we can twist that? By losing our confidence. I'm not saying that everybody who lacks full assurance is sinning against God. Please don't misunderstand me at that point. <clears throat> but when you live as if you could be lost, when you think that maybe after all you will fall away, when you're terrified that you're not going to be good enough, what are you actually saying? That Jesus died in vain that I can trust him but unless I add a little something afterwards unless I keep my end up then I might never make it to the end one of the horrible things about that is that it can sound very spiritual can't it my friends there is nothing righteous in doubting the finished work of Jesus Christ there's nothing praiseworthy in saying that you might not be good enough to last to the end. And then by twisting the truth. Paul says, and notice he says this about an apostle and his friends. They were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel. Now let not a single Christian here, preacher or otherwise, say, I'll never fall into that trap when Paul had to confront Peter to his face because certain men came from James in Jerusalem bearing a false gospel and Peter began to slide toward it. 
I asked Peter, If you as a Jew live in the manner of Gentiles and not as the Jews, why do you compel Gentiles to live as Jews? In other words, Peter, if though you are a Jew, you've trusted in Jesus Christ and you are now free from the law in that sense, why do you make those who were never under the law like the Jews come under the law in order to get right with God? Why are you putting burdens upon people that they don't need to meet? Why are you adding works to grace? Why are you insisting that you have to be a certain kind of person or become a certain kind of person in order to know God's mercy in Jesus Christ? Why are you demanding a second righteousness apart from the righteousness of the Son of God that needs to go instead of it or before it or with it? Brothers and sisters, let us take to heart then that we ourselves can begin to speak in such a way that we are not straightforward with the truth of the gospel. It is Christ, Christ alone, all Christ, only Christ, and faith in him, turning away from all our works and efforts, clinging only to Jesus Christ who suffered and died in the place of the ungodly. Trust him, he will save you. The good news is Christ crucified. The good news is the Son of God who accomplishes salvation and it is held out to every sinner, every man, every woman, every boy, every girl. There is not a single person in this world to whom I cannot go and say, take Christ and be saved. I don't need to offer any conditions. I don't need to demand any preparations. I don't need to wait for anything. I can go. You can go. I can tell you now. You can tell anyone now. Christ died for sinners like you. Take him. Take him. And he will save you. It is a fearful thing. And this is why the apostle plants his battle flag. I do not set aside the grace of God. If you and I are true believers, then we need to say the same thing over and over again. No, it is grace only from God alone that brings us to Christ alone, by faith alone, that all the glory may belong to God alone. For if righteousness comes by the work of the law, what a fearful thought! then Christ's death was pointless, needless, and worthless. And it's too easy, too easy for us to lose sight of this and to begin to set aside, even in part, the grace of God. And once you've set it aside a little, you've said that it's all pointless. But I want you to feel the celebration. Because what Paul is saying is that I do not do that. And that's what every Christian can say, must say, does say. Because divine grace brings great joy. I do not set aside the grace of God, says the man who is saved by God's grace in Jesus Christ says the man who knows that all his sin is forgiven and buried in the tomb, 
that he's been washed clean, that though he was a murderer and a blasphemer and a violently insolent man, though he had pursued Christ and his people, though he had been a persecutor of the church of Jesus Christ, that he is accepted in the beloved. And the apostle says, that's me. I don't set that aside. That's what I rely on. That's what I delight in. That's what I've received. If righteousness came by the works of the law, then Christ died in vain. But Christian, you don't believe that righteousness comes by the law, do you? You don't think that Christ's death was pointless? You're not sitting there thinking, I'll add a little something because it's not good enough. If you're a Christian, you stand with the apostle. If you're a Christian, this is your battle flag planted. If you're a Christian, this is your good news. You've trusted in this Jesus. You've obtained God's own righteousness. Christ's death is not vain. It is glorious. Yes, you weep at the foot of the cross, but you are rejoicing in your tears because here your peace with God is secured and your standing with God is assured. You're not setting aside the grace of God. Isn't that the case if you know him? You cannot bear to think of resting on your own righteousness. That's revolting to you. That's fearful to you. Everything in you shrinks away from the idea that you would somehow smuggle your own efforts into this relationship with God. That you, brother, sister, that you would make the death of Christ void. Doesn't your soul say, oh God forbid that that should be so? No, I glory in the cross of Jesus Christ by which I have been crucified to the world and the world to me. The cross is my boast. I boast of Christ and him crucified. That is my claim. That is my declaration. I don't point to myself and say, what a good man, a good woman I am. I point out to Christ and say, what a great saviour he is for a sinner like me. I hate with a passion every shred of self-righteousness. When I begin to think that I'm good, I've done a good job today, not that I'm always trampling myself underfoot, but as soon as I start to smuggle that back in, I've been good enough today. Every time you say, I've been good enough, you're saying Christ wasn't necessary. And you become more and more suspicious of yourself and more and more delighted with Christ. You peel back the layers of your own heart. Those of you who've been Christians for 5 or 10 or 20 or 30 years, do you think now that you're actually better than you once imagined or have you discovered how much worse you are? As time goes on, do you not find your own heart and its depths, its, its crevices, its dark shadows? And it becomes not more obvious why Jesus should have saved a good person like you but more wonderful that God should have saved a sinner like you. Lord, what have I got to offer? The best obedience of my hands cannot fulfill your law's demands. If I thought I were good, I see my twisted motives, my my empty desires. The more I grow in grace, the more I esteem Christ and him crucified. I come to realise more and more that I am indeed the chief of sinners, but that Jesus Christ is the one and only Saviour.
And so rather than trying to build works into my salvation, more and more I cast them aside. I have no appetite for them. I have no interest in them as if they could make me right with God. I don't neglect them, but I do them because Jesus is my saviour and not because Jesus isn't good enough to save me. I've told you before about a Scottish Christian called David Dixon. He was a very godly man. When he came to his deathbed, he had some trouble of soul, and a friend came and spoke to him and asked him how things were with him. And David Dixon said this, I've taken all my bad deeds and I've cast them into a heap. I've taken all my good deeds and I've thrown them aside with the bad. And I have come to Jesus Christ to trust in him that I may have peace with God, living and dying. My friends, that's a man who does not set aside the grace of God. At the end of a long, righteous, godly life, he says, I do not for one moment rely upon who I am or what I have done. I know that that at its best would damn me. And so I sweep the very best along with the very worst into a heap to one side and I'm turning and trusting in Jesus Christ, my righteousness. Christ is precious to you, believer. You love the gracious Saviour. You love his so great salvation. What, make void the death of my Jesus? God forbid. No, I glory in his wounded brow. His death is all my boast. His blood is what makes me clean. His righteousness is what makes me accepted with the beloved. I gaze upon those nail-pierced hands. I kiss those nail-pierced feet. I weep over that bloodied brow and that beaten face. I hear the cry of Christ in the darkness. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And I know the answer is this. That unless the wrath of God falls upon him, it must fall upon me. But because it did fall upon him, it cannot fall upon me. That is grace. And I do not set aside the grace of God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I am safe and I am happy because I have faced my sin and I have taken it to the cross and there I have found my saviour. Christ is precious, precious above all to me. In him I know divine grace and in him I know myself safe and secure. Grace has gripped me and I am gripping grace. I will never, never let go of Jesus Christ because with the apostle, 
I stand in faith and in life. I do not turn aside from the grace of God. I have no other plea. If righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died in vain. But the righteousness that saves is from Christ and Christ alone. And he died that I might live.